Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Die Living Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Brad and Tyson are joining us today from Silence and Light, uh, an awesome band that I'm super excited to hear this album that's coming out in August. Um, This is uh, 2.0 of the podcast after (laughs) a failed initial recording. We spent an hour and a half talking and getting to be best friends and talking about deep emotional things that were then... Uh, never recorded for posterity due to my ineptitude well, on I think a soundboard. The benefit now is that we can go through the details quickly yep. and uh, actually get into the meat of, of what's going on. So, just Perfect. to kind of recap, Brad, just a quick recap. Yeah, yeah, let me let me hear about how the whole idea for the band came about and the process of starting it and how you, you know you met up with Tyson and everyone. Sure. So, super. I think it's a super interesting story, but. Basically, uh, you know, spent the better part of a couple of years after retiring and everything else. And I, I didn't really struggle when I retired. Um, you know, had had a great gig and still do. Um, but giving back to the community, which gave me a great sense of purpose and everything else. But it was never enough. And I, one of the things I recognized when I separated and retired was that, um, you know, giving back to the community gave me a sense of purpose. But the thing that I did before and the things that I'm doing now, it's like the the compatibility of importance is completely different, you know. So when when you're at a tier one unit that, you know, works directly for the president of the United States and is doing good and great stuff, and, and most of what you're doing is very secretive, um, you know, how does anything else measure up to that? And so there was a void that was there that, that didn't make me, you know, want to go do something bad to myself or harm myself, but I recognize that it's not important, it's different, but I need to do more, you know? So the better part of three years kind of bouncing back and forth with my wife and I on Friday night, date night, um, you know, what should I do? How can I contribute? What, what, what's something that I can do that's going to give me this purpose and fulfillment and everything else? And, and, you know, one week it might be you're running for office. Another week it might be something different. Um, but ultimately one day we're in a room in my house, it's full of guitars and amps. And she says, you know, it's a shame that you're not doing anything with this stuff. I mean, you play all the time, but you know, you're not doing anything with it. And it didn't really click when she said it, but the next day I'm driving to work and the light bulb just went off. And, uh, fortunately a couple days later, one of my bandmates, Jason Everman of Nirvana and Soundgarden, and uh, mind funk fame prior to to being an army ranger and special forces guy and everything else. It's like the internet's favorite side by side comparison. <laughs> yeah, <for that. clears throat> I am guilty cool? of having used it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. I think Brian so, referred to him as the most interesting Green Beret. Yeah, yeah. We were like we were, we were talking about you guys coming in, and I did not actually know who you were as a band. Jericho has been strong arming me about getting you guys on here for you know three months, and so I was like, yes, I will call your friend Brad who I do not know what he's doing, and I will have him come on our podcast, even though you have not told me why it's important that he be on the podcast. And I'm explaining to Aaron, who I did not tell there was going to be a podcast until this morning, um, that 
you guys were coming in. I don't know who the fuck you are. And I started saying your names and that you were in a band. And Aaron was like, is this the sounds and like guys? I, I definitely want to be on this podcast. And Brian jumps in. He's like, whoa, is that a, is that the Everman band? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I maybe, you know, and he's like, that guy's the coolest, coolest fucking Green Beret in history. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talk about Jason coming in for this concert where you guys formed the idea of the band or formed yeah. the band itself. You know, how did you know him beforehand? So, uh, you know, interestingly, he came in the Ranger Regiment, you know, years after I did. So one of the things that inspired him, inspired him to join uh, after having, you know, kind of an unfulfilled career in, in the music industry was Black Hawk Down. And I was one of those guys that was there as a Ranger. And he, uh, he saw that, got inspired, you know, joined the military. As soon as he hit the ground in the Ranger Regiment and was actually made it through the pipeline and everything else, because I was a guitarist and and played guitar, and everybody knew you know my musical background, um, not not knew it like I was famous like like Jason, but um, you know knew that knew that that was my gig. Um, they were like, "Hey, there's this dude up at Second Ranger Battalion. He was in Nirvana and Soundgarden," and I'm like, uh, "Yeah, right." You know? Do you think he was upset that he got second bat? Like, no, as a you know, like I have to go back to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, you know, his family and everything else is there, so I don't. I don't think that. I. I think it was by choice. I'm sure. Um, but anyway, I knew as soon as he hit the hit the streets, and then I didn't know necessarily the credibility of of that story. But you know, over years of being there, you know, it was definitely he was credible, and 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 his story was all true. Um, so anyway, he was he was. Uh, Coming into town for the concert. Oh, you asked me how I met him. Um, I guess about 2010, and we had a mutual friend who connected us, and you know that was kind of the start point. And you know, were always you, stayed in touch. And were he had you a, operating operationally at that point. What's that? Were you operating operationally? I, I had just retired. I was okay. operationally right operating as an operator. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we met then, and uh, anyway, so Jason was coming into town to see uh, Mastodon with me. And uh, he knew some of the guys in the band, so we were going to hang out and had a couple drinks beforehand. And I just said, you know, look, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to create a band. I don't know what it's going to grow into or how many guys are going to be involved with it or whatever. But um, you know, I can't think of anybody better to do this with than you. And you know, shared experiences and similarities and and a lot of the things that we clicked on. And you know, the whole point of it was to release an album. And the royalties of which, which will go to uh, several, you know, special operations and first responder charitable organizations. I didn't want to stand up a five hundred one and you know start another foundation or another charity, but you know, stand up a corporation, make it an actual legit thing that can that can I take royalties. Make money. And, well, I mean, through <laughs> merchandise yeah, and yeah. shows and things like that. But what we're saying is, a hundred percent of the royalties from music go to these charitable organizations. Which we'll discuss a little bit uh, detail later. Did, but did you guys all pick one, or did you guys get together and like? Initially, that's what we did. We said let's let's all pick one. Each guy represents something different, and then we have talking points. And if we're ever doing press, or you know, we've done a ton of podcasts and things like that. Nothing is cool as softly. Oh, don't, don't you don't have to stroke my dick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we've we've done the, a bunch the of other that. Podcasts have been recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the, the first round... hour and a half of magic is gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but anyway, we, we, we thought about that, but then ultimately it's like, here's, here's the way it breaks out, right? You sell a song on iTunes 
and it works out like this. Um, iTunes sells it for 99 cents. iTunes takes 30 cents. Yep. So you're left with, you know, 70 cents. Uh, the aggregator, which is the thing that barcodes it and uploads it to, you know, through BMI or ASCAP, which is kind of like the Screen Actors Guild. But as a band that's making money, you, ha- you have to be a part of one of those. They're, they're who protects your royalties or licenses music to video games. It has to work through that mechanism. They take seven cents. So at the end of the day, you're left with 63 cents on your 99 cent song. And uh, anyway... That's, uh, but that's not sixty three cents that goes to you guys, right? That's not sixty three cents that goes to us. That's going to go to to these to these. So, okay, really now the, uh, let's say we sell ten songs. Yep, right. And we have never do math in public. Yep. Uh, you know we have six dollars, uh, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever we have. Um, you know, now we've got to split that five ways. And so, how can we make the greatest effect? And and really, Tyson and I kind of took the reins on that and said, you know, here are the two that we're most passionate about. Um, and we know personally know what's going on and involved with that. So let's support those. And then as we release more music, more albums, you know, we'll we'll select where it goes. So it may not necessarily be the same thing next year. The music industry, like not to derail the conversation, but I've always I've gotten the impression that in recent times the actual sale of hard music, like songs, is no longer really very profitable in the sense that most bands are making their money on tour. Yep. Right? Like selling concert tickets and venues. Yeah, and it's mostly merchandise. Is it really mostly yep. merchandise? Right on. So like you have it's a business for the band. Like branding is crucial, right? right? So like the stickers that you guys gave, which are super rad, um, those are that is what will actually make you money. Yeah. And it's it at this point it's not even make us money. It's you know, we recorded in a studio in LA that wasn't free. Yep. You know? For ten days, so it's like all operating costs. You guys are a yeah. startup business, and yeah. you guys are in yep. the hole. Yep. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I get it. Yes, we are. Um, are you guys planning on going on tour after the album is released, or so you know the the goal of this initially was you know let's do this thing, but like everything that we've been involved with in our military careers, etc., we 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 go balls deep, and uh, you know if this can be a full time thing, we'd absolutely love to make it that. Um, you that's, know, a, that's, that's, that's a Rolling Stones quotable, that's, not a New York Times quotable, right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's uh, that's something that you know we put our heart and soul into this, and we want to make it as good as we can make it, just like everything else we've done. Um, going on tour, we'll see what happens. We've already had offers to play festivals, and uh, you know that's something that we're going to explore and want to make happen. Uh, Give me our producer to go to Coachella. Yeah, our producer <laughs> is gonna you know push this stuff to some label people that he knows and see what interest is there. We don't need a label to release it. We don't need a label to back us. So ultimately, we'd be probably looking for management or something like that just to help take care of that. But sure, yeah, that's that's our goal with it. Just so, to kind of back up real quick, um, I'd love to hear Tyson how you got involved. I mean, how you guys found the other members of the band. Yeah. So. Um, Following our, you know, previous discussion about where, where I came from and, and my uh, academic fervor at the Naval Academy and all that, um, I went in the Marine Corps and then uh, went over to MARSOC uh, and spent, you know, my last five years or so, six years, including training mm-hmm. there. Um, I got out, you know, after almost 11 years. And my first job was with the MARSOC Foundation, now the Marine Raider Foundation. And part of my 
job was to find strategic partners, right? Find ways to to increase, you know, money into the to the foundation. There were only three of us full time working there, and um, we had just had the. Uh, well, I guess I reached out to Brad first, so I'll, I'll back up. But I kept seeing his Instagram page pop up, you know, that he's talking about and, uh, guys from my team and, you know, dudes I had deployed with were like, Hey, this is the silence and light Instagram page. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, at yeah. the time it was just Brad's personal. It was Jay Bradford official or whatever. And, um, did you have a blue check, Brad? No, we, we can talk about that. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I was going to be super jealous if you guys did. I've been rejected <laughs> like five times. <laughs> so, um, so I, you know, I saw his page and, and, uh, I just sent him a, a DM and said, look, you, you know, I work for the Marsoc Foundation. Here's my story. You know, musician, Marine, Marsoc, blah, blah, blah. Naval Academy graduate, officer, yep. and a gentleman. Yep, and, 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 <laughs> and I'm a dirty O. So, um, Please let me in your club. <laughs> I promise I'm not like all the other officers. Yeah. Every love note every officer has ever sent to an enlisted guy. <laughs> it's so true. I'll though. do crimes with you, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Dead hookers, right, bros? Yep. <laughs> so, I speak your language. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, uh, you know, the, the conversation just kind of quickly went from, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, what do you play? And I said, well, bass. And he said, is that something you'd want to do? You know, sound unheard, sight unseen. And, uh, and he, you know, I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to do that. You're in a band with Jason Everman. Like, yes, I'll do that. And, and that, that was really it. And Brad started sending me stuff. Um, did you ask him that question so I didn't see just to see if he was enough of a narcissist to actually be in the band? <laughs> yeah, like, no, no. by the way, we are all professionals and do not know you from Adam. Do you think you're good enough to play with us? His well, yes answer was sufficient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, we joke about this all the time and he usually tells the joke that I told a thousand times, but it's always like, that's when Tyson actually got on YouTube and learned how to play the bass. <laughs> yeah. Man, I said I could do yeah. this. Yeah, no, now I got to figure it out. Yeah, so the first time you guys come together, what was that experience like? I mean, creatively, it was actually really pretty magical, man. It was we, awesome. had, we had some, uh, we had some tunes, and one of them was pretty deep, and and uh, you know, we were doing some exploring just in the studio, not to, not while we were recording, but just you know, practicing, rehearsing, and and pulling stuff together, and uh, yeah, we could tell like right off the bat, me, Tyson, Brandon. I mean, that's that's the meat and potatoes of the band as far as music writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can we jive? Can we gel? Are we going to have, you know, conflicts and passive aggressive behavior like in all the other bands that I've been in? Or is Are you is, saying you have none of that? No, we don't we don't we don't have the passive aggressive thing. Yeah, and we're, that's, we're, we're pretty direct. That was, that's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even the most direct guys I know at some point like communication is hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're like, fuck, I feel a way. And I know we've, this. we've established a rule. Tyson, Tyson actually set it in place, but it's, you know, nothing serious by text. And, uh, cause things get lost in translation and we've had epic back and forths of yeah. where I view things to be and what I want to accomplish versus, you know, might be whatever, but we, we've decided, you know, much like, uh, any good relationship, that if we can't, you know, just be direct and have a good conversation about it and, and be healthy about it, then, you know, we, we don't belong doing this together. And and we've never never had an issue at that regard. All five of you guys are living uh, not only not in the same city, but also in different states. Yeah. yeah. And that process of writing songs, um, I assume, can be very difficult. But what is the the creative upside of, of kind of having creative time by yourself to start 
something and share it with someone else instead of always coming together and working on music collaboratively the entire time. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, th- I think really what it prevents is groupthink, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you hear something for the first time with all five people in the room, you're either going to convince everybody that their part needs to be one way or another, or it's going to take a shape that might be a little artificial. Mm-hmm. The, the beauty of it is that Brad sends me, you know, a guitar track, and we decide that this is going to be something that we're going to play the next time we get together. Well, I have total license to come up with whatever I want to do on the bass, you know, in the four to six to eight, you know, weeks between the time I first heard the song and the time we practice. Same with Brandon, same with Fred, same with Jason. So when we get together, the first time we actually play a song, you know, to like, like collectively, it's everyone's own independent vision of that song, which gives it a, a lot more room, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you hear songs, you know, on the radio or whatever, and it just feels like very one or two dimensional. Um, and, and it's like, there's no room to put anything else in there. Uh, I feel like all of our stuff has a lot of space and headroom because we all have, uh, that ability to really process it internally and individually to, to then bring our piece to it. So it's, it's truly a, a, um, a a collaborative project. But what, what does that look like? Like I get, um, you know, Brad is, Brad just plays a song on on an audio file yeah. and sends it to you. Mm-hmm. You guys hash it out, right? Mm-hmm. But how are the other guys, like, how are they expressing their independent vision of this song so that, you know... Yeah. Uh, so the way that kind of happens is, you know, the first, the three of us get together, me, Tyson, and Brandon. And and that's kind of the core of the song. Like, can we make this work? Does it flow from one part to the next? And, and like Tyson was saying, everybody has license. You know, I'm not a dictator. Um, you know, the song has to be the best song it can be. And if there's too much stuff going on, sometimes you can, you know, have conflicting music. And and because I think we're all of similar, you know, we like different music. We're not all, but but our core of like what we are and what we are as a band and the songs we're writing, it all fits together, you know? So we can very quickly now, uh, we just spent the last, you know, four days together playing music up in a studio that we use in North Carolina and, uh, you know, very easily decide which songs fit and which songs don't, you know? So what, what he's doing on the bass has to jive with the song. He can't, I'm a Primus fan and I'm going to start slapping and doing stuff like that doesn't go with this. And so we've, that kind you know, of bass re- goes with, recording with the f- anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Recording the first album, a lot of what took us the time that it did, it was us finding our voice. What what are we? What well, is our music how like? How long has what it is, taken? I mean, out of curiosity. So this the conversation with Jason started uh, two two Mays ago. Okay. So May of twenty seventeen. And, you know, just building the members and finding out who was gonna be involved and how they were gonna be involved, you know, took the better part of, you know, nine months. Do you guys do this like a high school band too, where like you guys come together and just play kind of like some of your favorite cover stuff no, together? No, never just, played a cover. We have never played a single cover, Are you which, serious? which is amazing. I've never played in a band where we didn't do at least we don't you know ten covers. Well, frankly. I figured it would, yeah. and I like covers. Like I'm always like, oh yeah, I know <laughs> yeah, the song, yeah. right? That's cool. Yeah. We, we don't we, just, we, we we don't have the time. No. Okay, yeah. wow, we're, that's we're we're on a compressed timeline every time we're together. And it's, you know, it's like when you get on target, right? You're, you're making stuff happen, shucking and jiving to, to, to get off target. 
And uh, same thing with this. You know, we we have stuff to do. We have things to get back to, and we have a very little amount of time to, to pull it all together. So when we're together, we, we make it happen. This first album that's about to be released in August um, was you know produced by a pretty well-known, legit producer out in California. You know, how did you guys make that step from kind of playing in a, a good studio in, in Sanford, North Carolina, to recording that out in Los Angeles. But I think the important part is that the message that we're sending is connecting with people. That's that's ultimately, if if you're if you're bullshitting somebody or you're you're doing something half-assed, that's their perception of it. And because we kind of went all in, and because we're putting our heart into this thing and and are really driven, then I think that message started to connect with people. So, Josh Goodwin, G U D W I N, you can check him out. But he's you know Justin Bieber's producer. He's uh, Celine Dion, Maroon Five. Like I could, I could keep going. Grammy Award winner uh, reached out to me. You know, reached out to me and uh, and said, "I'm a veteran. I'd love to be a part of this project. What can I do to help?" And just you know, let's let's hook up. But you and, guys are. Uh, I mean, I imagine that there were quite a few producers that were interested in working with you guys. I mean, you're all kind of professional musicians. I mean, for the most part. You've done something before professionally. You have literally the most elite pedigree <laughs> of like, I mean, for soldiers, right? I mean, you guys are talking about like Battle of Mogadishu veterans, MARSOC guys, Delta Force operators, special forces. Like your band is kind of like the who's who of you know, hey, if you play music and you're a special operations guy, we might have a slot for you. Yeah, yeah but it has also got to be the right personality and the right fit that way. And that's that's really kind of what it's all about. Like, if you don't have the shared vision of what this thing should be, then then it's never going to get off to the right start. Well, I mean, you, I mean, and, it seems like you guys really have a good vibe. Like, it's not a, yeah. it's not weird. It's just when someone looks at you guys on paper, it's like, oh shit! Like, I want to work with those guys. And it, NSW isn't represented. Unfortunately, I mean, we talked about ego already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you have yet to find a special warfare guy who is capable of putting the mission first. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't want to. I don't. I don't ever want to talk shit about these no. guys. They're awesome, and so, and it just it really just came together super organically. You know the way Tyson reached out, and you know he and I connected. I could tell right off the bat he was a genuine, genuine guy. I think we. We DM'd a couple of times. We text a couple of times, I think, to figure out, like, is this a real person and make sure. And then we just clicked. And it's just been that way with everybody. Brandon was the next one on board, you know, started getting together and putting music together. And, and everybody's just a legitimate person. And, and you can tell it's, it's the right people. So who's the fifth member? Fifth member is Freddie. So he, oh, he, uh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Air yeah. Force, Air Force. You make one joke about Freddie Mercury, and then I find out there's actually a Freddie <laughs> in your band. <laughs> Wait, there's a Fred. Who yeah. is not actually trying to make it his personal sounding board. Yeah, yeah. Only room for one yeah, queen. Yeah, only room right? for one queen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he's the, he's the fifth guy, and he came on last, which was fine because ultimately it gave us time to get the music kind of perfected and where we wanted it to be prior to going in and recording and then we had stuff that we could give him that we could make stuff fit and uh and then we could make adjustments too because we hadn't recorded the album yet we could make adjustments to things like hey i need you to extend you know this verse part or whatever to make stuff he's fit. doing the lyrics right yeah so mm -hmm. he's he does a lot of the lyrics and uh, all the lyrics and uh and singing 
you know, sometimes there, it, everything is collaborative, right? So, you know, sometimes he'll find a melody that works. Sometimes I'll find a melody that'll work. Sometimes Tyson's, you know, telling me something to do on the guitar. It's like, ultimately, this is about making the best song that we can make and the best songs that we can make, not who came in with the idea and, and everything else. So you, you get, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. You talked before about not identifying wholly is just by what your job was in the military, even though all of you guys are kind of brought together by that that common bond or shared experience. So with songwriting, I mean, how are you balancing kind of using that as creative power for what you're doing, but not only being, you know, hey, we're this veteran band that writes veteran songs about, you know, veteran experiences. Yeah, yeah. so I, I don't want to keep going back to the, uh, well, the last time we thought we were recording this, but... Uh, I keep, um, lo- I keep looking, know? by the way. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I do too. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm like, yeah, let's make sure this project is still rolling. You know, we were we were talking uh, last time about like identifying as as you know guys that struggle and things like that when they separate from the service or when they retire, and I never fully identified as just being a Delta Force commando. You know, it was something that I was always a musician. I was a father. I was a son, a brother. Uh, husband, all of that. And that's that's ultimately just a piece of what makes me up. And as far as the music goes, you know, we don't have to get strung out on heroin to hit a low or rock bottom or anything else. Like we have enough shared experiences that we can tap into that, you know, give it the emotion that it needs to get and that it deserves. And ultimately, some of these songs are, are songs that, you know, by tapping into that negative thing, it's like a healthy, creative outlet for some of the dark stuff that we've seen not to say that all these songs are sorrowful and everything else it's really like a slice of life in the military right there are songs about the solitude i mean that's silence and light that's where it comes from it's like the solitude and loneliness of deploying it's not all gunfights it's not all action rah rah it's it's all of that it's about missing your family it's about the love of your brothers it's it's all those things but yeah, that's that's kind of what we used to tap into and and draw emotion from to put out a song that has something deeper than let's fuck strippers on a Saturday night, you know, on Victory Drive. An integral part of your private first class experience at Ranger Battalion. <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually skipped E three, the rank of E three. So I went to Ranger School so early. Uh in the Ranger Battalion, when you graduate Ranger School, you're automatically a spec four. And so I think I went as an E two and came out as an E four. <laughs> Part, I don't part know. Of, part of the select group of specialists who can torture an, <laughs> yeah. an E5 without yeah, yeah. a tab. Yeah. But I also was gone that long in Ranger School. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I was a seven-phaser. Nice. Back when it was four phases. My uh, my old team sergeant, my first ODA, used to say, he's like, any queer can go through something one time. It takes a real <laughs> man to do it twice. <laughs> and you're like, right on, man. Like, I mean, I, I've demonstrated that. Early in my military career, I, too, was a a second time go kind of dude. And I actually, um, I'm assuming you knew, uh, general Bargewell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So his son, one of his sons was one of my G's at Robin Sage when I was coming out of my twice is the ticket (laughs) phase (laughs) of my military career. And, uh, those dudes were actually really good friends with a buddy of mine who ended up at RRD, Um, so like we all kind of connected in the field where they're supposed to be, you know, gorillas and resistant and difficult to deal with. And I was like, Hey, I know you're a platoon sergeant. I know where you motherfuckers came from. I was like, 
y'all all been to ranger school and you're going to pitch this op order and you're going to do it by the book and I'm going to make your lives easy later. And everything went like, like literally our, our uh, instructors were like, I've never seen G's brief a ranger op order so effectively. They're like, <laughs> I have a major problem with this, but also good for you guys, you know, like, yeah. like cool, man. But Logan was one of those guys. Um, he's a good, I mean, literally I reclassed as a Bravo in 2011 and all those guys who'd been my G's were in the Q course at some point or other. And we just happened to, I'm, you know, a tabbed guy going back through and being around Logan and some of the other guys, um, and seeing, <laughs> I gravitated towards good times dudes that I like to hang out with when I was in the course, you know, it's like, Hey, bar buddies are real buddies. And then I suddenly realized that the real friends are the dudes that like push you to be better. The guys that like demand that you're not fucking off, you know? Yeah, and I ended up, as a team guy going back all the shitheads that would have been my friends when I was in to begin with were guys I was like fuck those dudes you know I'm staying away from those guys and I ended up hanging out with guys that I mean most of my my buddies have either gone to the unit or have you know assessed and are doing something of greater responsibility in SF now and I think back to like that is a really defining moment where it's like I'm competing against these guys to be a hundred percent right like gotta be the best and i don't think that i think we like to joke about seven phases and ranger school but i definitely obviously based on where you are now you know hey we don't accept mediocrity we're on target (laughs) we gotta put out all these songs and then we got to get back um somewhere there's a watershed moment in our lives where it's like man doing the best is the most important and and it just everything you do right becomes that have you guys started to put together a tour schedule at all? No. So just uh, at this point, you know, we want to let the album come out. Uh, you know, it's going to get shopped around to a handful of labels. We don't need a label to support us, mm-hmm. you know, to get behind us or anything else. We can do it all independently and, and be probably more lucrative without a label involved because they're just going to take a piece of it. Um, already gotten offers to play some festivals. So the goal, you know, kind of coming into this thing was like I told Tyson – if we can get like 5,000 followers and and literally, if we can get 5,000 followers and we sell 700 albums, like, uh, dude, that's, and play five festivals a year. Success. It, that's totally success for me. Like, it, and, and I, you know, just kind of continued to grow and continue to grow. So music unheard, we're already getting offers for festivals. I'm sure once the music releases, um, we're looking to probably bring on some management and uh, help kind of line all that stuff up. Yeah. Um, you know, that would that would be a help. But, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. And, you know, ultimately, like I said, we're, we're trying to make this a full-time thing if we can. Um, I think we're all very realistic about it. And it's just as easy for us to fly in and play festivals, you know, rent backline equipment or be sponsored, you know, by a... Uh, by folks that can that can provide backline equipment and and you know we can do it that way too. It's totally totally fine. Do you only want to play festivals, or are you guys open no, to I, I like a longer tour with? I mean, not necessarily. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there. So if you know, I follow a lot of the music stuff on Instagram, but you could find bands that are at least our level of following that are jumping on with someone like say Chevelle. And they'll play a three-week run that goes up into Canada. They'll do something like we're down for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, depending you guys on when obviously it obviously have full-time jobs. Yeah, yeah, you know, right for now, sure. currently, for sure. Yep. Does I mean, do you guys 
do you have a phase line <laughs> laid out that is like, this is where we say, fuck it. I'm not doing my full-time job anymore. Or <laughs> like, is that still kind of like a question mark in the ether? It's, I don't think it's a question mark necessarily. Like, I, th- I think we could all do it. It's just, it's gotta be something that would be lucrative enough that, you know, we can pay ourselves a certain amount of money to, to be able to live off of. I don't know how accomplishable that is. I mean, there are guys in uh, bands like Twisted Sister and, you know, I, I think they've stopped playing now, but, you know, they're working full-time jobs, even though they are who they are. Uh, Testament, you know, we could name one after the other, but yep. there are plenty of opportunities for us. The payoff, the real payoff in this is giving back to these charitable organizations through the royalties, through music sales. That's one payoff. The second is playing live, right? That's that's like the money shot. And that's what gives you the, you know, the energy to keep working hard to get the next thing done so that you can play that show. That's that dopamine you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. So, I got it. you know, if, if we do five a year, if we do 10 a year, if we jump on a, a week-long tour, you know, for some, you know, like we'll do, we'll do any of that. What is the feeling that you get as a musician as far as playing in front of a live audience versus being in the studio with just your bandmates? You know, like how does that affect the, the intimacy within the band and the feedback that you're giving each other, but also obviously receiving from the crowd? It's, it's cool, man. It's got moments, you know, where you're like, ah, oh, this is amazing. I think ultimately like anything, uh, what's it like to be in combat, Right. Uh, and I'm not comparing it to combat, but I'll use this analogy. What's it like to be in combat with the right dudes? What's it like to be in combat with the wrong dudes? You know, so you could be on the stage in front of a million people, you know, and if you're with the wrong dudes and it's the right, f- the wrong fit, you know, I, I can't imagine that being an it's incredible a, a event. in the bottom of your stomach right. the entire time, yeah. gnawing, right. waiting for somebody else to drop the ball yeah. and you having to pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's bad. <laughs> It's, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's why we, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's why I went special forces is because I looked up to those guys. Like, right. We yeah. were talking about when you came to Ranger Bat and you were looking at, you know, the guys that jumped into Panama and you know, those are your heroes. And even though. And still are. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I'm in the same boat in the sense that I look back at a lot of my guys that, you know, maybe haven't had the same amount of experience that I have had over the years. But because they broke me in or like gave me the tools necessary to be where I am today, like I still look up to those guys. Yep. Some of them haven't even been to combat. Yep. There's one particular um, ranger from I, I man, I think Lee was in three seven five. Do you know Lee Stacy? I don't. Yeah, he's uh, he lives up in Cleveland. He's like a big insurance executive, and he has a a yacht on the lake. He is also super down to earth and does tons of like ranger rendezvous. Like he brings guys up to stay on the yacht all the time and like go out with them. He's he's a cool dude. But I mean, he did like four years at Ranger Regiment in the early nineties and somehow managed to dodge uh, you know, all combat opportunities, not of his own volition, just that's how the yeah, guy shook yeah, out. Yeah, the timing. Pre war. Yeah. And you know, like I, I I he's fucking awesome. Super squared away, super great guy, um, cares about other people more than almost anybody I've ever met, like constantly putting himself out to help other people. Um, you know, we look up to those guys, but we came to these organizations because we wanted to work with people like that, the right people. And you guys, like, I mean, I'm sure when you and Jason had your initial conversation, you're like, this is the right two guys. Yeah. But like finding three more guys. Yeah. 
this is a polyamorous relationship that like was was destined to fail before it started and you guys have actually <laughs> yeah, like yeah. figured it out right yeah. yeah i mean it's you know kind of from the beginning tyson and i always say the same thing is like this is ours to fuck up because you know we've got the right people we've got the right music and as long as you know we can keep this thing focused and going in the right direction which we have i think very well then it's it's ours to lose you know because we're driven people that way. It's not like, eh, yeah, maybe we just do, you know, I, I'm not that way at all. I, I dive in head first. Is Tyson the only officer in the band? Yeah. Th- yes. Yeah. I, I, I really say this to segue into, did you think you would be here when you were 17 and you were like going through, like I, I the what got you here musically mm-hmm. is like a really interesting story. I know, like, I would like for you to at least kind of like lead in. Your path is a pretty interesting path in itself. Sure. So, like, at seventeen, on the high school football team, playing music with your best friend. Yep. And like, where do we go from there? Yeah, I mean, so before I was seventeen, I had recorded an album when he I was, was like he was sixteen. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was sixteen, and then before that, fifteen. That's a very good and place then the, to start. The year before that, um, you know, I was in this punk band, and, and we were we were pretty talented, um, you know. And, and our drummer was just very, very good. And we recorded, you know, over the course of two days, a, a little, you know, um, really good quality demo. And um, we're playing a bunch of shows, and we just, you know, we had a pretty decent following, and. Uh, it, w- it was just really interesting stuff. Is this where I find out that you were actually in some 41 or something? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> now it, it all makes sense. Yeah. But, um, it, and actually, uh, this is a kind of a cool, you know, uh, rotation of the story. But um, I remember sitting on, on the bed watching my drummer play along to Bleach. Um, when we were kids. Yeah. And, and Jason is on the cover of and plays guitar, you know, on the Bleach album. So, you know, if, if I thought, you know, then that I would, you know, be in this band with this guy who, you know, when the art, the New York Times article came out in like 2012 or 2013, whenever that was, and I was in Afghanistan, I'm like, God, this guy's the fucking coolest, you, you know? Oh yeah, dude. Um, you know, it, it's been an interesting journey, but you know, when I was a kid, I kind of had three three things that I always wanted to do. You know, I I thought it'd be cool to be a college athlete, which was something that I picked up once my brother went and started playing college football. I wanted to be in special operations and I wanted to be a rock star. I mean, you can ask anybody I've ever known since I was a kid. And those were like my three life dreams. Check. Yeah. (laughs) So, so it's pretty amazing stuff. But, um, you know, my, my, my path though was all music. And then my drummer was diagnosed. Uh, Jody was his name, best friend. Um, and it's a type of friendship that, I mean, I mean to this day, I kind of wrestle with the idea of like, will I ever have another relationship like that? You know, it's just kind of like the, the once in a lifetime connections. Um, and uh, he was diagnosed with a super rare form of cancer. He was like the 58th patient in the world to ever have it. And, uh, you know, watched him go through it, watched him go into remission, watched him, you know, kind of dive back into it. And at that point we knew he was terminal and, and, um, you know, I was with him when he took his last breath. I I put him on the gurney. I was the last person to touch him before they zipped the body bag and and put him in the hospice van. At seventeen, it, this at 17. is like super heavy shit. Yeah, big time. It's heavy shit for most people later in life. I think that we we've all 
been on a path where death is like really common. Yeah. And we've all learned to deal with it by making it kind of like, um, I mean, I don't even know if it's incidental. It's funny, you know, uh, when you guys were talking about your song, it's like a goodbye to guys you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself like, man, dude, I've definitely been there, but also at, you know, at least me personally, one way that I've dealt with that loss is to distance myself from it. Like I don't yeah. typically go to funerals. Right. I will send a note to the family, you know, and that's that. And then I'm done with it. Like I will talk about that person as though they are alive for the rest of my life. Right. Never tell a story about them dying. Always telling stories about like dumb shit they did when they were alive. Yeah. And people would never know, but didn't know they were dead, that they were gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's how I deal with it. Yeah. That, I mean, and, and that's it. And, and I kind of had to learn that at 17, um, which, you know, when, when I look back now, when I look at the path that, that I've been on, um, boy, I, I learned a lot of shit by, you know, by practice. Um, and so that, you know, ultimately that led me to avoid going to a state school and trying to pursue music. And, and I was getting recruited to play football at the Naval Academy where my brother was. Um, and I, I jumped on it, you know, and it was a chance for me to go, you know, play college football and, and find my way into the military. Right. And, you know, try and check number one and number two. And, um, and while I was there, uh, you know, immersed myself in the game, um, started playing music with some teammates, but you know, that's just because it was always a thing for me, uh, you know, and it was just kind of a fun party band, whatever we'd play our, you know, post, uh, post home game parties. I'm like catching a leg cramp and you know, nice. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, 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 it was just a, uh, an interesting thing. Cause when I look back, um, the, the, the space in time with everything that had happened with Jody. I mean, I, I basically just like ended that chapter and just moved on. And it hasn't been honestly until I started playing music with, with Brad and, and Jay and, and Freddie and Brandon that I have started to, to reconnect to that experience from when I was 17. Um, Is because, it hard to deal with that? Like, I feel like we bury shit so much, right? Yeah. Just like there's my, I, I started going to therapy mm-hmm. when the wife, like when the wife and I had major sure. issues and it was like after years of battling, it's like, okay, I'll go to therapy. Fuck yeah. this. Right. And like, I don't talk about my relationship with my wife in therapy, even though that's the only reason I went to therapy. I talk about shit from when I was like 13, yeah. 14, where I'm like, fuck, I don't remember. This was something that hasn't <laughs> yeah. bothered me. Like I haven't thought about this in, you know, 30 years. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. But to open up like an old wound that you didn't deal with when you were 17. Sure. Is that hard? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's interesting because it'll just, it'll hammer me, you, you know? And, and the the song that Brad was talking about earlier, which I don't know if it was on the version that we didn't record or this version. It was on the version uh, we didn't record. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, well the, so there, there's, you know, that really great song that, that is about saying goodbye to your friends. And, and um, you know, I, I will listen to that song in my you know, in my car driving somewhere and, you know, really just to kind of reach back and touch the music while we're, you know, waiting to release it. And, you know, the next thing I know, I'm like, I might have to pull over because the, the, the crying that's about to occur is going to prevent me from driving safely, you know? And, yeah, and man, I feel that. Yes. Yeah, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's potent stuff, man. But, you know, and, and even, 
that, but that connection with that has, has been interesting. So, um, you know, Jody's mom is like a, a, a sort of holistic medicine uh, massage therapist and craniosacral therapist. And when I was sort of in the, the deepest part of my time on active duty, I saw her at home over the holiday because we're still very close. And she said, hey, have you ever tried this craniosacral therapy thing? I think it might be helpful for you. And she wanted to get into doing it for combat veterans and this and that. And so sure enough, like my, my best friend's mom is the one who's like doing craniosacral therapy for me in what, you know, became the start of this process of me sort of healing my own internal stuff and being willing to go, you know, talk about things and just kind of let go of, of the, you know, the kind of hardened outer shell that I think we all produce at some point or another, whether, yeah. whether it's to defend ourselves from others or to, to defend others from ourselves. And it's just kind of some weird subconscious, you know, delivery of, of protection. But, um, you know, that, that's really how I ended up getting to a point where I got out and I, uh, you know, I loved my unit. I loved my time at MARSOC. Um, and I, I love that you guys have the, uh, the old Carlson's Raiders death head on the wall. Oh yeah. Badass. So I was a, a second M sob second Raider, alum and um you know and that's like I, I had a great time so when i got out and there was a chance to work at the marsock foundation you know i got out you know and as a as a newly minted major you know and you're supposed to be the you know the guy who knows where to tell the other dudes to go to get you know help for transition i mean i did my my shit and was out the door and had no clue what was going on i feel like that was brent too it was like when you guys when marines decide to like hit eject yeah. it's like it's literally like a bad movie where like the floor falls out yeah. and there's like a slide and they're yeah. like, Wee! Yeah. and I'm gone. It was like return from deployment and like 15 days later. Dude, that's not how yeah. the army does it. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about you, Brad, but like, I mean, so I'm still in the guard, but like I have ETS probably 10 times because of like long-term active duty orders or teaching at the schoolhouse or whatever. And like, because of that, I'm good at doing it fast just because I want to, I want to work until it's close to the end and then I want to leave. But almost every one of my buddies on active duty is like, it's like, man, the last year in active duty is my time to go to all my meetings and get my VA rating and like take care of myself. And I'm like, yeah, you deserve that year, man. And then I talk to other branches and they're like, well, I'm going to retire in, in uh, 30 days. I'm like, holy shit, man, it must've been a great nine months for you taking care. What? No, no, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've been working. I'm yeah. Like, I, I, I deployed. I had to go to some TDY school. You know, yeah, it's it's nonstop. Well, it sounds like this whole process has been super cathartic for you guys. How has it affected other areas of your lives, like your relationships with, uh, you know, family or friends or, you know, things that you're doing at work outside of, of the band? I think um, for me personally, you know, it just it's it's something that I need to do. And uh, my wife, I give her a ton of credit. Um, you know, gives me the space to be able to do it. And there's no grief, you know, there's no, oh, you're going again to do music stuff. And, you know, there's none of that. So, you know, if anything, it just, it, she knows when I come back from two things, she knows when I come back from a trip of hanging out with my former mates, because I'm a different person, I'm like super happy and engaged and everything else. And uh, when I get done with music, same thing, it's like, ah, got that out, you know, like, I'm in a I'm in a good place. Not that I'm not in a good place all the time, um, but you it know, recharges she, your batteries. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. It's a refresher, a reset, and you know I've I've got it till the next one. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like just one one to the next. You guys are making it, I mean, I, earlier you mentioned you guys are seeing each other like once a month right now, right? Yeah, it's been anywhere from, you know, uh, getting ready to go to the studio in LA this past January. You know, it started to kind of crunch time. And we got, it. you know, three more things that we've got to get done before we get there. And, you know, not a lot of time to do it. So we need to get together twice this month or whatever. And, you know, so it, it's generally on average, it's once a month. But, you know, there's a lot of back and forth that's happening and talking about stuff and is this headed the right direction and what if we change these two parts there's a lot of that stuff happening in the in between which is which is great and then we can kind of test our theories when we're together and generally it it's all working you know so you guys have an album coming out in August yeah the album, is yeah. the is the product done yeah it's it's uh i think in the final stages with the producer uh he's got a couple of things left that he's got to mix and then get it to us, and then we can upload it through BMI to to iTunes and everywhere else that it will go. Awesome. Well, we are definitely looking forward to promoting that on that vein. Um, since all the revenue from the music sales is going to charities, what are the charities that you guys are promoting? I know, that you, do you still have five, like one for every guy, or have you guys kind of like focus that yeah so originally we started with like each band guy will represent one and then you have talking points and if you're interviewed you can you can talk about you know what this charitable organization does um we kind of wickered that down because you know when you sell a song for 99 cents you're not getting 99 cents yeah. uh, itunes takes 30 cents and then it kind of deducts from there so rather than take the 63 cents that we're left with when when a song is purchased or you know, whatever that correlates to if you sell the album, um, you know, basically it's, we don't want to split that five ways. We wanted it to have more impact. And then ideally what we do is each album or each quarter or each, you know, semi, semi, uh, you know, twice a year thing, disbursement of the royalties, like maybe we can elect to send them different places. And also not that either of the ones that we're contributing to aren't doing the right thing. They're all great. Um, but maybe it's something, you know, in the past you've seen it where it's like, oh, wounded warriors or somebody does something that maybe not perceived correctly and everybody stops giving, you know, we, we didn't want to be tied to things that we couldn't control. So, so annually we'll probably take a look at it and decide, okay, next album, we're going to dump all of our royalties to these. But so this year, who are we, who are we pimping this year? So we've got, uh, you know, a former unit member, a buddy of mine, Tom Spooner. Stood up Warrior's Heart yep. facility, and uh, the thing that I like about it and 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 love that it does is it's not just veterans; it's first responders, it's you know anybody that's basically post traumatic stress, and it's uh, what they do there. It's a it's a place that you go. There there are a couple of things that really stand out to me as being kind of holistic. One is they get you treatment for addiction because addiction and use and abuse of alcohol, drugs, etc., is generally one of the th- side effects or symptoms of, you know, the greater cause and, and what's happening. So they get people clean, they kind of solve that problem first, and then they start in with therapy and, and getting people, you know, the proper therapy for post-traumatic stress or what whatever they might be dealing with. And then second to that, they use art, whatever that may be. It could be music, could be sculpting, could be welding, you know, giant things together to make a huge crop, whatever it might be. They use art as like a therapeutic tool. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been proven that uh, art and creativity is, is a workaround in the brain. And it starts to heal things that, that uh, 
haven't you know have had damage or 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 you know stuff like that happen so um and in that regard like i feel like even the music that i'm doing and we're doing together there's a huge piece of that that's therapeutic so anyway that that really spoke to me and it's something that i wanted to be able to contribute to and also expose so that more people could contribute to and uh, so that's who i've elected to represent and uh and that's you know where half of the proceeds are going to go. Proof that um, you guys do great things when you leave the unit. Like Tom is, uh, Tom is a larger than life human. So yeah. like him doing good stuff after it's, it's big stuff. That's cool. And and like who's the second? It's the uh, Marine Raider Foundation. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, nepotism at its finest. Yeah, a little bit. The well, officer, the yeah. officer got his charity in. You know, we we all know that uh, on the pirate ship, officers don't really have any say. Yeah. So Ninety percent of but. the profits go to officers' foundations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I, I I worked there and and I saw how the Raider Foundation works, and now it's back to being. Uh, a, a one-person organization, and and I watched, you know, because Marsoc's a very small community. Isn't Worth on the board of the Raider Foundation? I believe you know Worth Parker. Parker, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, he's either on that board or he might be with the Raider Association. It may be the Raider Association. Yeah, he, okay. he, he's involved somewhere though. But yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 it's it's a great organization with great board members, and and uh, uh, you know the civilian board members are are remarkable folks. I mean, people who are just crushing it in the business world and you know manhattan beach and phoenix and everywhere else but the the stuff that that the organization does the executive director is uh, andy christian who's a retired raider colonel um and his wife sarah uh who is the one full-time employee um they, they've been running it and they stood it up you know back in i think it was like 2009 when uh, just tons of uh, marsac guys were getting banged up in afghanistan and killed and um but but one of the cool things that that the foundation did while I was there was they merged with the World War II uh, Marine Raider Foundation, and um, so now we host annual reunions for those guys. That's awesome. And, yeah, and, and and it includes you, you know the the new badged uh, Raiders how, as well. How many so. of those Carlson's guys are left? Dude, it, it, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but it, it's like every year, you know, we find out sixteen, you know, have passed away, and there's only, I mean, there's probably less than forty. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, they're, they're very, very few, and uh, honestly, it's it's probably less than that at this point. It's awesome to have that tie back. I mean, it's very cool knowing where your roots are and like having younger guys connect with that is yeah. going to go a long way. I think. I think as we. I mean, hopefully wind down the current conflicts yeah. and guys have these big gaps where guys are joining and not going. To, I mean, I feel like the biggest crisis in identity right now, like the younger dudes look at guys like us mm -hmm. that have had a run at it and they're like their identity was that they they joined to do what we did and they're not going to get a chance to. Yep. And then there's a whole bunch of like feelings of self-worth and stuff that go they get tied with it. Like I invested all these years of my life to do this thing that. I didn't get a chance to do. Right. So I think it's important that we like, we have tie back in with, you know, previous generations to be like, Hey guys, you know, you too yeah. did a thing. Yeah. The job was, you know, FID, UW, whatever it is like, you know, there've been many generations of Rangers that did not take an airfield. <laughs> yeah. That's why Panama guys are so like, you They're know, revered, revered. Yeah, they yeah. did the job as written. They yeah. didn't pull cordon for a freaking superior unit of smaller size, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
So it's also cool that you guys are staying open to like reassessing where the money goes year by year. Yeah, and it could change, you know, at the drop of a hat, you know, if, if something were to go sideways anywhere. But we wanted to be in control of that. And that's also one of the reasons that we didn't, you know, turn this into a, a 501, you know, charitable yeah. organization. I feel like there are already too many of those happening. And, and there's donor fatigue. Uh, you know, everybody's getting hit up for the same things yearly. And it's very hard to, you know, so that way, you know, we're doing something that you can buy a song and know that the money is going to a good place. It's not going to us personally. It's not going to not going to affect that. But also that, you know, we've had to stand up a corporation so that we're not receiving personally money that's going, you know, we'll we'll get penalized on the tax side and get no benefit of the contribution. So, okay, now we have to stand up a corporation. So we've learned how to be business guys, or at least not not business guys, but you know, learn every everything that yeah. has to do with that. And then what happens with merchandise, what happens with, you know, is one of the guys in the band at least a banker or something like that? <laughs> no, no bankers. <laughs> like, so I, I feel like I'm getting an MBA though, yeah. trying to figure out like, all right, well, we need to set up this and this account and this account, and you know, the, the, this is where the the money streams are going to go for operating costs versus what I mean. It's oh, you're the, so they really you guys picked an officer specifically to do. No, I mean, the ugly stuff. No, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've taken a, a good bit of that on because you know Brad's doing a lot of stuff, but re, I mean, we we both handle. You know, ninety ninety nine percent of of that the operation side. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other guys are all you know, uh, you know, off doing doing good things. So you know, and, and they're staying pretty busy as well. But I think we have the the most flexible and kind of standard nine to five schedule where we can we can work through that stuff day to day. So. Right on. Well. Man, guys, I really appreciate you guys coming in. When uh, Jericho suggested that his friend Brad had to come in here, I was like, Jesus Christ, Jericho, like, you know, who now? And now that I know who you guys are, I'm like, wow, that's egg all over my face. So <laughs> I appreciate you guys coming in and uh, gracing us. And I also apologize for missing an hour and a half of the first intimate conversation. <laughs> but I feel like I know you guys way better now. So. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Man. Before we go, where can people follow you guys uh, online, and how can we sign up to be notified when the album drops, when you guys announce tour dates? So everything right now, uh, you know, the guys all have like personal Instagram pages and things like that. My personal Instagram page, I switched over to kind of like a band account, so everything is there at Silence and Light Official. Um, that 20, has 21.5 thousand followers yeah to yeah. start you guys are three times more successful <laughs> than you thought you were gonna be no <laughs> yeah yeah four, or four, 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 four times, times. yeah five thousand so followers sorry that's, and, and the thing with that it's it's been interesting because you know again it's like when you when you go balls deep in what you do then you learn everything about everything so looking at the demographics of and analytics of instagram who are we reaching who do we need to reach what do we need to do to reach more people uh all of that and you know we're at a point where we've been waiting for the product to be completed there are some buttons that we still have that we're gonna push that are gonna get us you know more promotion until we have a product, we can't push those buttons. So we're in this catch twenty two until next month when, when we've got everything finalized and it releases. Do you have a website? Yeah, so that's all in the Instagram page. You'll see that. I think we've got a Facebook page too. Yep. We'll link um, all those things. Yeah. Like when we when we wrap this, we'll link all those things so that people have access to them. 
Um, but we'll we'll also push this on our Instagram page. It's cool. the science of Instagram is probably the biggest thing I've learned working here at Softly, and we still don't actually know. It's like Copernicus stuff. You yeah. know, like yeah, it's, it's like it changes every thirty seventh day or yeah. something bizarre. So yeah. I could definitely understand the levers and stuff. I think I, you know, before I came to work at Softly three years ago, it was just a platform for me to for me to post my Insta thought photos, you know, like look at me in fucking jean shorts and shit. And and <laughs> yeah. now I'm like, oh, I'd still do that, but I have to do it in a focused way that gets people to actually like follow. So well, I'm excited to hear you guys play live, and I'm hoping that you don't just play festivals. Um, you know, when you were talking about this song that you guys have written about all the people that you didn't get to say goodbye to, you know, I could hear, I could see in your face and hear in your voice that that just talking about it was bringing like tons of, of thoughts yeah, into your head. That's going to be a tough one to play live, and, and uh, I don't, I don't know if we discussed it on this or the first version, but. You know, that song basically came as like, hey, I want to say goodbye to all the people that I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to properly. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, all the rest of the songs, like, it's not sappy. It's not sorrowful. They're not sad. We're not talking about dropping bombs and killing people. It's uh, it's more of the sad? emotion, you know, it's the, it's the emotion side of things. And, uh, you know, I've always been into Alice in Chains and, and music like that, Nirvana, it's dark music. Yeah. You know, so I don't think people are going to listen to this and say, oh, it's sad or, you know, but that song specifically, it's a nut punch. It's an absolute nut punch. And, you know, like I said, we, we intended for it to be something that started as kind of soft guitar that built to this, you know, this massive ending. And our producer, after we played it a couple of times and we recorded the, you know, the drum tracks and everything else, it was like, get in there jump on an acoustic guitar and let's try it like that. And so I did a couple of acoustic guitar tracks on, uh, on two different pretty cool guitars. And, uh, and what it did was it stripped away everything that you could hide behind and made it more raw. And he at least could see that he could hear mm -hmm. it where it needed to go. So and you went with the acoustic version. Yeah. It's an, it's an <laughs> unplugged man. And you know, if you know the song like nutshell, yeah, yeah. right. Like, like think of that, except, wrapping in the feelings of your buddies and all the people that you didn't get the chance to say goodbye to because you were still deployed, you know, or the family members that you never saw again, or the people that you ended up meeting from their family that you never wanted to meet because you knew the only way you would meet them was if they were killed. You know, there's, there's a lot to that. And so that, that really is what that song is all about, man. I'll tell you, like, like Tyson said, I, I don't, I'm not like a, so into my own shit that I'm listening to it and like, yeah, I really did great there. I cannot, I am not literally kidding. I'm as proud of that song as I am of my military accomplishments, the bronze stars with V's and however many of those I've got, you know, it doesn't like, I am as proud of that song as anything else that I've done in my life. It's, it's that good. You could put it on the radio tomorrow and anybody that's experienced loss, whether it be a dog a family member, you know, anything is going to relate to that song and and super proud of it. I can't wait to hear it, man. It takes courage and confidence to to bear your soul that way. Yeah, it's it's interesting because even when, you know, when when this process started like one of the things I want to do is I feel like we didn't like we got way deeper on some shit the first time. Oh yeah. I'd like to kind of go there. So yeah, yeah. Dude, let's know, do it. Full I, circle. I, I just wanna I and I also can't remember what we talked about first time versus Dude, second I'm not, time. I'm not even worried about it. Yeah. Like I people 
<laughs> we're dude, and we'll still roll. Like I think this is worth like yeah, the yeah. discussion. Is that we can also chop this up a little bit, rearrange yeah, some we, shit. We we so. won't we won't chop it up or rearrange it. I like the fact that it's an organic conversation, and well, we just kind of had the ending. So no, I don't want but people to fucking leave. <laughs> they're not going to leave because it's still rolling, and we're still talking, and we haven't said goodbye yet. They'll be like, well, I was trying up. to get it to be an end, but like, there's no sense in chopping it up, and like. I think that you know we did talk about a bunch of of extra stuff at the beginning when, when we weren't rolling, um, and dude, I think you should just jump into it and we'll we'll springboard on it. One yeah. thing I want to say real quick before we go there um, about oh. this live stuff, the reason I keep bringing it up, um, I went to see Tori Amos when I was in college, and embarrassing was, uh, confessions with Aaron. <laughs> that, I, you know what? I I admitted to Barry Manilow it as, was, as my first concert. I, so. Honestly, it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Um, it was this really small uh, theater in Madison, Wisconsin, and in the middle of the show, she had you know she had her piano on stage, like facing stage left or stage right. So, you know, she was not uh, she was not facing the audience when she was playing piano. She was kind of uh, to the side. And she turned, you know, she stopped playing piano and she turned on the piano bench to face the audience. And she sang the song, Man with a Gun, which is like, I mean, there's no music. It's like just her singing. Uh, and it's a song about her getting raped. And in this theater of like 100 people, I mean, the song's like incredibly powerful when you hear it on the radio, but in this theater of 100 people or 200 people or whatever, I mean, it was like, I mean, it was just this super, I mean, I'm even just talking about it, I'm like getting chills thinking about like how powerful of an experience it was. Um, and I think that's something that's so incredibly important about live performance and live music and you guys spreading your message, which is why I keep coming back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Well, we, we've got some. Art, though, right? I mean, yeah. it, it can be anybody can, you know, paint a picture or, or write a song or whatever. <clears throat> but the ones that that have, you know, a real authentic and genuine meaning are the ones that stick out and and attach themselves to people. I mean, you look at a Van Gogh painting and you're like, I don't know necessarily what was going on there, but there's some shit going on there. Right. <laughs> I mean, it all just kind of comes out. So it, it's spoken like honest. the truest of art critics. Yeah. It's like, I'm with you. Yeah. That we, Jackson Pollock really spoke to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were, we were talking uh, before we decided to kind of loop back around, but where this process started like when I would send Tyson the first couple of songs that I sent him, just, you know, the guitar that I recorded on my iPhone as, uh, you know, him kind of being the first line of defense against this sucks and this is good. Um, it's like bearing your soul, you know, as stupid as it sounds. And it's something that I hadn't done in a very long time. So I send him something and I'm like just looking at my phone waiting to see three dots. Like, did he listen to it yet? What is he typing? Is he like, What's he typing? Why yeah, is he taking so yeah, like, long? Uh, I bet he's going to say this. You know, it was really hard to do. And the the one thing I will say is that this process from start to finish, it's like I'll send anything to anybody now. I don't care. It's like I put my stamp on it. We've all gotten behind it. We love what we've done. And you know, I think people are going to relate to it. It's going to connect. Some of it's going to connect with some people. Some of it's going to connect with others. There's some hate-filled songs. There's some angry stuff. There's some, you know, super Stone Temple Pilots kick, kicking down the street songs. You know, there's there's a little bit of everything. It all fits together very well. But, you know, that's something that it was kind of therapeutic in itself, just in the recording process of, think about this. We go from me you know, nine months ago, 10 months ago, sending Tyson a song and like looking for the three dots 
to standing in a studio in Los Angeles, California with a Grammy award-winning producer staring at us thinking, dude, what is this dude doing? Like he's going to bail any second. And that was an amazing, probably one of the best validations I've had was, you know, after a couple of days of feeling each other out and kind of him seeing our work ethic and how much we've put into it, you know, I was like, what do you think's next? You know, kind of trying to feel out like, does he think this is total garbage? Does he love it? And we would see little things, his foot tapping, his head starting to bob, you know, as we're playing stuff. And they're like, yeah, man, he's grooving on, like he's grooving on this. And we're talking, you know, back at the hotel for like the all of three hours we would get a night, uh, 20 hour days or whatever. And, uh, you know, to have him say, literally, quote, you know, I was concerned that you guys were we're not going to bring it. And I've got to tell you, you guys, you guys fucking brought it. And the fact that I'm here still should tell you everything you need to know. And he said, I had, I had a bailout plan in place. (laughs) So, you know, day one, I had a bailout plan in place. And the fact that I'm still here should tell you everything you need to know. And, uh, you know, to me, that was musically probably hands down. You guys have, you you guys have done this all individually like everybody that's in the band has played with someone else in front of people yeah and been judged before right yeah yeah Uh, but you guys haven't done it together and like honestly it's kind of crazy listening to you guys talk about this production process and me thinking like as a band you guys have i mean you've created this product that is totally untested. The only person who's seen it is this, is your producer yeah. and you guys. Yeah. And I'm like sitting here, like I'm listening to you tell me and I'm not a musician enough to actually like intuit what this music is going to sound like. So in my head, there's like 50 different conflicting <laughs> yeah. ideas, right? Yeah. But like, it's going to be crazy to play in front of people or sell the songs. I mean, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I think one, I, one thing that I have found that is a real strength for most of us from the special operations community is um, we don't necessarily get high on our own supply. <laughs> like our Kool-Aid's good. We know it's good. Yep. When it's not good, we're our own worst critic. So like the fact that you guys bring that to the table and it's not like, hey man, we had this opportunity and we found this great Grammy, you know, award-winning producer and we threw some shit on the wall and we're going to see if it sticks. Like you guys are, if you are true believers that the product is high quality, like I, I believe it'll be a high quality product just because I think if it was shit, you guys would be the first ones to say it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, we've actually been talking the last couple of days about, um, some stuff that we know is on there that, you know, as, as we have kind of evolved as a band and our, our sound has sort of found its, its groove, um, you know, we're, we're already willing to kind of cut some stuff out, you know, and if it means a, a, uh, a couple songs go away on, on oh, the album. off the album. Yeah, really. Yeah, you know, but it, but for that reason, you know, we're, we are our own worst critic, and uh, you know, there's some things that you know may not represent uh, our voice necessarily the way it did in the beginning. Does and, this mean that you guys are going to actually do like an R. Kelly mashup re- like uh, cover? Then like, <laughs> I, is this going? Are you going to possibly? Like, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> I, I keep joking about uh, doing like a B sides release. Please do. I was like, I was so sad when you was like, we've never played a cover together is like what kind of band are you (laughs) i demand it like uh, i need to hear like r kelly meets black street in in the in 
the tone of okay, Soundgarden. So I've yeah. got I've got to share this with you because it was something I cooked up uh, a few months ago. But basically, uh, I I gave myself a rap persona because I want to do like a a dance remix. Of, of for of, TikTok, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I want to, I want to do like a dance remix, and then I want to shoot a video for it. But we're not like gangsters, right? In the music video, we're airsofters. Oh, and so my airsoft name is Paintball. That's my. I want to so make like, this video with you guys. Okay, so so Paintball is like one of the characters. You're in, speaking Aaron's love language right now, and then, by the way. <laughs> and then I started. Then I started thinking of like all these other characters, like Mill Slim. Right, so Mill Slim, he's one of the characters. Like, so each each guy will become like a different persona as we do this like dance remix. But so, I totally totally want to do that. I, I haven't actually volunteered. Only only the dance remix is in the format of an Indian romance movie <laughs> at the end. So Bollywood, yeah, uh, Bollywood style. China uh, entourage dancing. Yep. Yeah. Have you seen um, the Red Fang music videos? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I love Red Fang. Yeah. They make some pretty fucking the, hilarious shit and great yeah, music. Awesome. Yeah, but yeah, I definitely you've you have made a best friend in Aaron by announcing that you want to make a goofy video making fun of Mill Simmers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> down yeah, anytime you want to do it, man. It's, every month, it's new well, idea. It's by happened. the way, we should make fun of these people. I'm like, I do want to do this actually. My dream is not <laughs> specifically to make fun of Mill Simmers. It's more no. just to make funny videos. So yeah. Yeah, that was kind of just, the whole point. To, it's the just only to clarify. Yeah. The only way you can do it is if you're a le, you know like legit person. So like I can make fun of it. Not making fun is like those are people that support us. You know, there's there's I'm sure airsofters and like if that's your thing, totally cool, man. Own it. If you do it what I what I have an way. issue with is people that are out there pretending to be real that are complete posers. That's the problem I have because they lead people to believe something that's not true. I have a constant personal battle with buying really cool airsoft guns. I have not done it yet, but every time <laughs> I see them pop up on the internet, it's like that Amazon like drunk shopping, and yeah. I'm all like, I could totally use this for something. And I'm like, that is so cool. Don't buy it, Doug. Don't do it. <laughs> like, So I haven't I'm, done it yet, uh, but... Well, in kind of that vein, just to... I don't, this is a random story that I probably shouldn't be... Telling in the podcast because it doesn't really fit with everything else, but <laughs> that's the whole point of these podcasts, <laughs> right? Like they, they were like, "Hey, by the way, I don't know if we should loop back." I'm like, "Do you guys realize that we, our most popular vignette podcast, is just me and Aaron arguing about nothing? Like it's two, like, <laughs> two really good friends from uh, from high school. One went to the Naval Academy and one went to West Point. Uh -huh. And uh, the guy that went to the Naval Academy that we talked about." Uh, briefly earlier, the, the coolest human oh, the, being that we know, yeah. pilot, dad, yeah. Yeah, dad, yeah, dad jeans, grass bone sneakers, <laughs> and, and like a five k t shirt, yeah. right? Yeah, top he, uh, Yeah, but, <laughs> th there's like an eighty percent chance if you ever see him, he's gonna be wearing like a navy run for honor, you know, like mm -hmm. technical running shirt. Yeah, but uh, he got married to his high school sweetheart probably like six months after graduating from Annapolis. Yeah, and being the first kind of like friend wedding, we had this like epic all day bachelor party. At the bachelor party, and it was ha like half high school friends, half Annapolis guys. Mm -hmm. And so we got together for this big lunch, and then we went to play paintball, and then we went to Goose Island Brewery, and then out to the strip club. And at paintball, do what Navy SEALs do. You have to back away from the strip club. You have to say, strip club, I mean restaurant. Yeah. That's what they do. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> 
at the fucking paintball thing, the Annapolis guys insisted, insisted that the whole time it be Navy guys versus high school friends, right. <laughs> which left like those guys mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, against all these like high school friends and our buddy Dan we're like, damn, you went to West Point, like, tell us what to do. <laughs> Which sucked for Dan because we lost every match and mm-hmm. he was always the fucking last guy standing. Yeah. You know? So like <laughs> the whole day he was just fucking bruised up from Yeah. Isn't that the nature take- of most Army Navy physical matchups? Like I until this year has been until I think maybe it's been a couple years now. Um, but yeah, I mean, my I think my sophomore year started that 15 year win streak for Navy over Army in football. And um, I felt like Navy just went out and found a bunch of ringers like you looking at you. I'm like, oh, no one actually wanted you to be in Marsoc. They just yeah. needed you to play football for yeah. four years and then that, go that, about that your merry way. Yeah. Well, and that's talked about in that book that we also referenced in the unrecorded section of the podcast. What uh, is the book called? A Civil War. There you go. Awesome yeah. book that chronicles uh, an entire season of Army versus Navy football. Um, in any event, the Navy guys talked so much shit the whole <laughs> fucking time, man. The whole time and then afterwards. And then we went to this brewery for all you could drink for mm-hmm. four hours. And, and they uh, wanted drinking too, probably. <laughs> like all the kids that had just graduated from Big Ten schools. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. Yeah, okay. fucking, that's fair. See you later, man. <laughs> yeah. All those guys ended up on the floor of one hotel room that we had rented while uh-huh. everyone else from high school got beds. So <clears throat> moral of the story, you know, stay humble. But <laughs> stay naked. Yeah. Navy anyway. guys know how to party. I feel like I totally threw that off track. But, Not at uh, all. I love random it, stories. It came into my mind and it had to come out of my mouth. But the name of our <laughs> other podcast is The Bottom of the Barrel for a reason. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. literally. Like, <laughs> so last week, I did nothing but talk about how terrible the movie Midsummer was and gave up blow by blow about it. Aaron was like, I want to hear about it. So literally for like 30 minutes, I described the whole movie. Next time we'll talk about uh, how cockfighting is actually humane for chickens. I hope that you take that position so that you can I w- get I will mail. take that position. I, I was convinced recently. People but. threatened to skin me alive and then uh, douse me in vinegar. I was like, oh, that's humane. Man, um, <laughs> real, real quick, your, your story reminded me of something. We were, we were joking about seals um, earlier. I, I have several very good friends from from Annapolis who, who went on to be SEALs. And uh, I was going to ask if, if any of your, your buddies' crew were SEALs because actually the Naval Academy, like it's something like 97% of the SEAL candidates that they send straight to BUDS pass. It's some like insanely high rate of, of success for them. It, it's pretty impressive. You know, I don't understand how they <laughs> – it is a very high success rate. It's also super low numbers. Like how many guys get selected to go? I think – so when I was there, it started out as like, it was like 16 per class. And then it was like 22, I think, when I graduated. I, I heard a number recently. It's like 30 or 35. It's still very low. I mean, it's, it's a class of that starts with about 14, 1350, 1400 students. It's also worth noting, though, that like, so like we talked earlier about how I did like the summer seminar for the Naval Academy. Uh-huh. And in that group of high school juniors that were wanting to go to the Naval Academy, of the people there wanted to be F-14 pilots. I mean, obviously this is a long time ago. So, but I mean, everybody was like, well, I got bad eyes, but will the Navy fix them for me? Like a hundred times. As questions asked 
in front of everyone. You're yeah. like, but it, your eyes are just as bad as the last guy's eyes. <laughs> the answer that you got is the same fucking answer. Yeah. Stop go, asking this question. Go, go be a Marine or drive yeah. a ship. That's but I, what, what I learned was that the Navy's number one recruiting tool, like the Army uh, infantry recruits out of the 18 X-ray pool. Like mm-hmm. we're going to get college graduates that should have been like mid-grade officers and we're uh-huh. going to bring them in on the promise of being special forces. They're going to quit or fail and then they're going to go straight <laughs> to the infantry. Right. And the Navy, that is the fighter pilot program. Like yeah. we're going to get these guys who think they're super smart and we're going to throw them at surface warfare. Yeah. You know, yeah like, that's it. I, and here I am wasting away on a minesweeper, but I could have been, <laughs> I could have been a jet pilot. <laughs> so, tough breaks. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. thought when you talked about wanting to go to the Air Force in the early 90s, I assumed there was an Iron Eagle tie in there. No, no, no. But, so, so, and, and I, I'm glad movie. you brought that up because I was just <laughs> thinking about it, but it was on the, on the 1.0 version unrecorded. <laughs> um, you know, initially went and talked with the Air Force recruiter because, uh, a buddy of mine had told me about, you know, a special group of dudes that would come around at the end of Air Force basic training and recruit to rescue guys that had been shot down behind enemy lines. And I thought, oh, man, that'd be cool. And uh, was leaving the recruiting station one day and 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 Air Force guy couldn't get me a contract. And that was one of the things was I understand you can't give me a contract with the guarantee that I will pass, but just to try. And they couldn't do that. So I'm leaving one day and the Army guy says, you know, hey. What, what's going on? I said, well, he said he could get me a contract, but he's not. And uh, he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be in Delta Force. And he said, well, you can't do that. You got to be something first, like Special Forces. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And he said, well, you can't do that either. You, you got to go like Ranger. And I was like, all right. So that's ultimately where I ended up. And I already told that story the first time around. But um, when I was in basic training, Desert Storm kicked off. And all these guys that I had gone into basic training with that were telling me how they got bonuses for signing up, like $15,000 bonuses, had come in unassigned airborne and unassigned you know, infantry and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And so they would get a bonus, and then at, at the end of you know this, you go to airborne school, and then the RIP guys will show up, the Ranger Indoctrination Program guys will show up, just volunteer, they'll take you. So it's like a way of cheating the system. We'll get you the bonus, but you don't get a contract to be, yeah, you know, it's, guaranteed. It's still an option forty when you signed up, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so in the middle of basic training, um, Desert Storm kicks off, and the battalion commander for the basic training, you know, whatever, he's got all these dudes out on this parade field, and he's like, "Men, you're all now mechanized." Oh. And, and I was like, "Fuck this! I quit." I didn't come in to ride around in a tank, you know, blah, 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 blah. Called my dad, like snuck out of the barracks to a payphone. called my dad and was like, get me out of here. I don't care what strings you have to pull, get me out of here. And he's like, nope, you made a commitment, deal, And uh, which I did. Anyway, a couple days later, the, the drill sergeants came around and they were like, hey, pulled me and like 12 other dudes aside and they said... Um, yeah, they can't touch you. You've got a range. Because <laughs> you have contract, a contract, right? baby. I had no idea. Like I didn't. I didn't know one way or the other. And uh, but anyway, so I went on to go to go do that. But I saw the entire battalion of guys that had come in to do good and great things that wanted to be more elite than than got switched to being you know guys that ride around in the back of Bradleys. Well, and, how's the support been from your community? Um, I mean. I know you're not like super vocal about your past, but you know. Well, uh, and that so two things with that. One one of the things is like 
I don't think Tyson and I, we talk about this quite a bit, you know, I don't want this to be because I never fully identified as like just being a Delta Force commando. Um, you know, we don't want that to be why people follow us. We want it to be because they're here knowing that there's going to be some music that supports the community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the main reason that we post pictures from our past is to just let people know because not everybody digs back all the way is to let people know that like, Hey, we've, we've been there and done it. We've seen the worst that war has to offer. We've lived through some things that are pretty, you know, dramatic and uh, some of which have been turned into movies. And if I can do this, if I can get through this, if I can be, you know, find a way to have purpose and give back to the community, which gives me a sense of purpose. If I can find a way to do it, to do it you know, and anybody can do that. And, um, you know, so anyway, it's interesting because I'll run into people all the time. I was just down in Fayetteville last night and hung with some buddies. And uh, you don't know who's following you because nobody uses real names and, you know, you, you have no clue. But I run into people all the time and they're like, what's up, man? I saw this or I saw that. And it's like, oh, they actually follow I don't, th- I don't think that from my community, I don't think they're super vocal about, you know, following or, or anything else, but the number of people I've had, I've had, uh, kids, you know, the number of DMS that I get from kids that are like, I'm, I'm getting ready to join. What should I do? What do I need to prepare? And I'm like, you're, I, you're still welcome at reunions, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. all There's that matters. No, yeah. baby. <laughs> There's no- you know, when, when it's, well, I don't go back to reunions. That's all I'm like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, you're still cool, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's no. I'm not giving up any secrets, and I'm definitely not talking about things that I shouldn't be talking about or anything else. So nobody, like, I wouldn't jeopardize that. I wouldn't jeopardize that for anything. Um, you know, but it's in- interesting the number of kids that'll hit me up and you know ask me what I did to prepare, and I'm like, dude, I probably smoke weed, you know, two days before rolling to Meps, and had you know hair down on my nipples and you know was a complete <laughs> complete idiot and uh and went to basic training probably ran like a 20 minute two mile my first you know like everything prepares you for the next and crawl uh, walk run yeah. is the army way right yeah and you don't need to do anything it's you know just roll just don't quit that's uh, that's what i tell everybody and that's there's like, plenty of days like i yep. that's the hardest thing i think as a totally like on topic but off topic i think that a lot of people think that we just miraculously became these like people that accomplished a whole bunch of stuff and i like to remind guys i worked with this when i was teaching at schoolhouse there's that conundrum where you meet a bunch of sf guys who think that they've been sf guys their entire whole lives because we all convince ourselves that we were born to do this which i think in many ways we were but it was still a process (laughs) you know we were raised and um like guys will be like, you know, these guys are all just pieces of shit. They're just like, none of these guys deserve to be in regiment. And you're like, I would like for you to rewind your mental, you know, VCR <laughs> and let us all talk about how things were when we came through. Cause like, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, like basic training was hard. I remember that like the 12 mile road march that we had to do at basic training, like the, the bayonet or whatever yeah, was a fucking smoker, man. It did beat my ass up. And then you know, we moved on in airborne school, running in boots at airborne school was actually hard for me. Like it was like, man, my knees and my ankles are just in agony, even though like it's a slow pace and it's not a challenge. And then you move on. And like the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life was SFAS, you know, like SOPSI was hard. 
SFAS was harder. I thought, well, that's it. Like everything else is easy. Then SUT happened. And I was like, oh my God, this is way more miserable than selection. <laughs> and you like everything increasingly becomes difficult, like more and more difficult to prepare you for like the real world challenges that you get like on a team in a kind of an uncertain environment. But I think it's important for us to remember that, like you said, like we all started somewhere yeah, and it wasn't impressive. Yeah. <laughs> not, not only that, but I, I also get asked a question quite a bit of like, oh, you must feel so, you know, whatever. I don't even know what the word is to describe it, but like that you made it like, no, no, no. That's Prouder. when, that's when shit gets real, you know, being there, just selections and ongoing effort. It never stops. And it's the same way on the music side of the house. Like you're only as good as what you do today. Not, not, not this guy did this great thing three years ago or that is a not particularly the, Delta force attitude, probably from dealing with Brent. I would say that is a very Marsoc attitude as well. And special forces regiment, uh, Yotingo Mio is the, the coin of the realm, which is, I have mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as you have been aware, every Halo team guy has an extra 30 or 40 pounds strapped around the middle. Yeah. He now pencil whips PT tests and, uh, is a master marksman who never actually fires his weapon. Um, but they're good at talking to people and negotiating. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, man, that you're right. That is the appropriate attitude to have. I think um, of of that, the accomplishment of arriving there was nothing because I felt exactly that. It's like you go through selection and everybody's like, man, that must have been incredible. You're so happy that you made it. And I was like, no, now I got to go through OTC. Like that's the real, the that's, real selection. <laughs> that's where the real shit happens. And then you realize in OTC that like, man, I'm going to a team across the hall and Lord knows what's going to happen there. And it just, it never stops. You know, you're never in a place where you can rest on your laurels and say, I've arrived, I've made it here. My proudest accomplishment military-wise is the fact that I stayed there for 12 years. And it's also a thing that that probably bothers me the most because I have a really hard time doing anything for that long because I it gets it gets old. When I first got there, I thought, Man, I'll never leave this place. I will stay here. It's like going to work at Disneyland. Yep. It's incredible, and I love it, and and still do, you know. Um, and after like, oh, we're doing this training again, annual this, and these things happening, you realize everything is a cycle, and it's just repetitive. And maybe you're fulfilling a different role on the team than you did the last time you did it, but. Man, I gotta, I gotta keep challenging myself. I have to find something new. I have to get into something else. And about five years in was when it hit for me, and I was like, okay, I, I've done all the deployments. I've done this. I've done pre-war. I've done all the, you know, shooting evals and proving myself that way. Like, what else is there? And so I feel like guys that are there, that are that are, I've been here eighteen years. You know, okay what's wrong that you found your comfort zone and now you can't leave it. So when I retired, the whole goal of retiring when I did was really to like move on to the next thing. Like I'm ready to challenge myself in business. I'm ready to challenge myself in industry. How can I, am I, am I going to be successful with that? I don't want to be 50 when I retire. I want to be young enough that I can still get after it. And, uh, you know, that's something, like I said, I don't, I don't, uh, don't know where I'm going with that, but no, I I dig it, man. <laughs> Stay hungry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it feeds into the music thing, right? But yeah. you know, same thing. It's like 
this this has to be the best thing. And, and we spent three years talking to your wife about it, man. I was yeah. like, what are you going to do? Like, you're like, I laughed when we first talked about it. And you were like, three years every Friday talking about. <laughs> and I was like, every Friday you talk to about music. But then this time around, you're like, you know, one Friday it's me like wanting to run for political office. One Friday it's, you know, I, I get that, man. I do that. My wife thinks I'm fucking insane because it's like. This thing came down, I mean, working here, every day is different. We do a million things. Aaron pulls his hair out, dealing with my, like, constantly shifting priorities and adult, you know, ADD. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like... If only you'd let me make funny videos, I'd be a lot happier. That's true. Well, luckily, we met these gentlemen, That's and we right. are going to make a funny video uh, about Mill Slim. Mill Slim. <laughs> Paint, paintball. I ca- actually called Tyson from the beach, so I was at, down in Wrightsville. How drunk were you when you and, uh, decided this was the best m- idea ever? I, I was probably slightly hungover. I love it. And that's that to me is like exhaustion and hangover is is like where things start to tap into the creative side. The mother of those, creativity. Th- those are also the conversations <laughs> when I just put them on speakerphone and do whatever <laughs> yeah. I'm doing. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yep, yep. And no, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, like across my stomach, it's going to say like meal slim. <laughs> yeah. like, no, I like it. Like it's cool. <laughs> We're going to have, like, not a pit bull, because I love cats, which I know you guys love, too. But I'm going to have, like, everything not right, right? Like, everything anti what that whole persona is. I it's like, I got my cat. This I will got... be the most popular video. Dude, could totally <laughs> go viral. And I like this. <laughs> and again, it's like, it's not making fun of people. It's just saying, you know. It's like not. It's it's more about us not taking ourselves seriously than you it be is. Able to laugh at yourself. Yeah. This is right. The it's like, look, we do yeah. here. I can dress it up and and play a little part and act like a fool too. You know, it's more about that than making fun of of somebody. I am super excited about this. Like, legitimately, like, uh, I, I'm the. There's going to be a script that comes out of this. Some ideas. Aaron, we'll put Aaron to work. This is his like creative, you know, this is like your guys are in Candyland now. And, and Aaron's like, I love this kind of thing. <laughs> you relit the fire. We're not waiting until April Fool's to make a video. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> Typically, Aaron makes videos. And I'm like, this is a perfect April Fool's video. It's like, whoa, no, no, no. This is, uh, it's uh, May. We're not going to wait a year to release this video. I'm like... <laughs> And I don't know if in your era in the military, there was a, there was a, this was when email was just kind of catching on and, you know, units had computers and stuff like that. But there was a first sergeant rap that went around. I'll pull it up and play it for you. I feel as though I have seen this, but, but I. It's, it's not a video. It was just like an audio file and it had like a, like, I forget what kind of file it was, but it had a picture. It was like super shitty stick drawing of like the first sergeant, you know, or whatever, but it was all first sergeant rap. And that's the whole point of this is like, it's a really bad, like early rap. I you know, it. it's, it's not like a polished We're not gonna 2019 rap song. Yeah. Abilities. <laughs> early Will yeah. Smith. There needs to be some auto tuning though. Oh, totally. Just, as, yeah, a, yeah. just yeah. as a total riff on it. Yeah. Dude, this is when I can use that synth pedal I was talking about. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you. Like, awesome. I think it would be, vi- be a viral thing. We'll do I'm, this when, when you guys uh, have some free time after the album release, tour schedule, all that kind of stuff. Actually, you should you deconflict so. the next time you guys are in Sanford, and we'll, we'll yeah. prepare. End That'd of, be awesome. End of August is yeah. the tentative plan. Cool. We'll be here. All right. Absolutely. Right. All right, gents. Uh, well, we went... 
a sufficient amount of time this time (laughs) after I I was going to kill it in an hour. And here we are an hour 35 with way more stuff we talked about. Um, Honestly, thanks so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to buying and pimping the album as soon as it drops. Awesome, Awesome, man. Appreciate you guys having us. Thanks guys. Thanks. Thanks guys.